This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. surprised at this point he's he's you know the best player in the world a lot of nights and um you know he's uh he's showing that uh, on a regular basis and you know like he talked about you know this we're, we're we're here for a lot more than just scoring goals and 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 putting up points um that's not what it's about at all it's not what we're doing here i praise from connor mcdavid and why wouldn't you Leon Dreisaitl remains on fire. The Oilers split two games in Vegas and headed tonight's game three in Edmonton. Feeling pretty good about their chances against the Vegas team that still has some work to do if they want to slow down the dynamic duo of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Welcome to the program. It's is uh, Sportsnet today. Logan Gordon along with you. Outstanding production team of Cam and Taylor along with us. We're in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And yes, lots to get to on the program. We'll uh, kick things off in just moments with senior columnist from Sportsnet.ca, Mark Spector, to chat all things Oilers and Golden Knights as Game 3 is upon us on this Monday evening. Also, some Blue Jays talk coming up a little bit later on this hour after a fantastic series victory over the Pittsburgh Pirates. And also draft lottery night. Uh, we'll be paying attention uh, to the Connor Bedard sweepstakes a little bit later on as well. So lots to get to. Fan feedback line always open to you at 960-960. But we kick things off going down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline and saying hello to Mark Spector from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca on this Oilers game day. Mark, thanks as always for the time, sir. How are you today? Doing very well, Logan. How's it going down there? We're doing really well. Uh, Mark, series tied 1-1 for the Oilers and the Golden Knights now, and we're uh, heading back to Edmonton tonight. Uh, If you're an Oilers fan, how confident are you feeling after two games in Vegas? Yeah, up here it kind of feels like the Oilers are leading the series 1-1. Um, There, you know, after the the way they won game two, uh, I mean, Vegas didn't get a bite of that game from the first minute to the 60th, right? It was 3 nothing 11 minutes in. It was 4 nothing after the first. It was 5 nothing in the second. Uh, Vegas just never even got a piece of that hockey game. So, you know, you know how these series work, Logan. The, the ball kind of the responsibility of prolonging series kind of goes back and forth. So the road team goes down to Vegas and wins one of the two. And now we come up here and it's, you know, everyone's looking at the orders like they're rolling. So now the ball's in Vegas's court to figure out how to, you know, how to put the brakes on this thing a little bit. They got to get back in this thing. It's only 1-1. They're just fine. But they can't keep playing the way it got played out in game two or this series won't last long. 
one of the biggest problems that they have right now is a problem that I'm not sure anyone could solve. I mentioned it coming in, and that's Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, Mark, I think anywhere west of Toronto, he's the story of these NHL playoffs so far. Uh, <laughs> his teammates are telling us, look, this is, this is Leon being Leon. We understand what he does and what he brings on a pretty regular basis. But that comment from Connor McDavid uh, was the one that stood out to me when he said he's on another level is that how you see things for for Leon Dreisaitl in this postseason as well yeah like what does it mean when the best player in the world calls you the best player in the world right <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, think right. A bit of a, I think it's an inside joke with those two guys to be honest <laughs> but um listen I think we're doing Calgary radio I don't need to tell anybody down there about Leon Dreisaitl you know he limped through that series against Calgary last year and it's 17 points in five games so um, that's no scoop in uh, Southern Alberta what Leon Dreisaitl can do. And, and it's funny the way you, you frame that question, Logan, because I just wrote a notebook. And and if the topic, you know, what I wrote was if the topic today uh, supposedly across Canada is big game players not showing up in big games, uh, I think that topic dies somewhere around Dryden, Ontario, because <laughs> out west here, out west here, this, this certainly the blue and orange team up here, they're big game guys. They may not win, and then they haven't won anything yet. And the last few years, they haven't won anything. But what doesn't happen is that the big guys don't show up when it counts, right? The dry saddle first, McDavid right there. Uh, Hyman's got more in the point of game. Uh, Nugent Hopkins doesn't have a goal yet, but he's got six points. Bouchard's got like 14 points. Kane scored three important goals. Uh, so, uh, you know, yeah, Leon's leading the way, and he's, you know, he's, for Pete's sakes, the, the NHL playoff record is 19 goals in a playoffs, and he's got 13, and we're only two games in around two. So it's unbelievable what we're witnessing here, and I think you should, you know, you can't forget that. I think we're, you know, you're watching history here. If this team gets anywhere this spring, if they get past Vegas, and, you know, who knows where it goes from there, but you're probably witnessing the best and most frequent goal scorer in the history of the National Hockey League, and that's not something we say every spring, right? No, absolutely not. And it's it's one thing, as you said, Mark, when it's you know happening here in Calgary, and you know Flames fans will will always do that. But you're right. I mean, to be at this point of, of 13 goals already, it really is something uh, remarkable that we're seeing. And a healthy Leon Drysital has certainly seemed to have found his way this postseason. And of course, one of the ways that we always talk about, you know, the the best ways of stopping the Edmonton Oilers, Mark, is always that strategy that involves beating them and staying them out of the penalty box and. That just seems to be a strategy that Vegas hasn't quite picked up on yet. But do you see that as the major difference in this series? Two games in is how special teams have worked out on both sides uh, for Vegas and Edmonton. Yeah, well, Vegas through two games has outscored Edmonton six three at, at five on five. So, you know, so the, I mean that tells you one thing, right? That a lot of that happened in game one for sure. But you know, the Oilers like there's two sides to this power. I mean, the power plays at fifty six percent. It's you know who has a who 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 goes three for six and watches their power play percentage go down. Yeah, <laughs> you know, not that's, many. That's what happened. That's what happened in game two. So it's amazing. Like, and I've seen. You know, I was lucky to be around here in the eighties. Uh, I talked to Paul Coffey the other day, sitting in the seats, and I said to him, "Like, was your power play better than this one?" He laughed. He said, "We're not even close. Like, we barely even practiced our power plays. Is this power play so much better than ours? It's not even funny." And that was, you know, one of the best teams ever to lace them up. So uh, it's it's incredible this power play. It's it's 
you know, they, they just come at you from so many different places. Now they've got Bouchard on the point. They don't shoot much from the point, but when they do, he's got a, a, a absolute cannon. You know, you got Hyman is one of the premier down low garbage goal tip in guys around hockey. Obviously, you got McDavid and Drysdale, and then you got Nugent Hopkins who can sort of whatever's not getting done, that's what he's good at. He can pass it, he can shoot it. He know he's a very heady hockey player. You guys watching him down there? He's just a really smart player. And does he get a lot of second assists on the power play? Yeah, he does. But you know what? Goals are goals, right? He makes a play, it goes to McDavid, it gets to Drysdale, and you're up one nothing. So. I don't know what you, I don't know what Vegas does. Like it's not like playing the orders. You can just say we're not going to take penalties. You know, you end up pulling guys down. You end up hooking mm-hmm. McDavid. You end up high sticking a guy that's working real hard on you. It's you know you can sit there and say we're going to stay out of the box and and you got to try to limit it to sort of maybe three penalties a night for sure because if you get to five and six they're going to bury you. They will beat you on special teams and that's a some people say oh they're only special teams points and. When the series is over and you win the series, who cares how you got your goals, right? 100%. And, yeah, when you're talking, seeing Connor and Zach and those kind of guys up over five minutes a night on, on power play ice time, it's just it's yeah. less time for Vegas' best players out there, more time for Edmonton's. And, look, we talked so much, and everyone talks so much about Mark Stone and his availability to, you know, help shut down those guys. I mean, Petrangelo even, Mark, you talk about those guys, they're exhausted spending four or five minutes a night on the penalty kill that makes them less effective on five-on-five, on five, even if the Oilers don't happen to produce on the power play. Well, and they, they, hold, they pin you in your zone. Like Vegas had a couple power plays where they held the Oilers off for a minute, let's say 20 or so, but they never got a clear. So they defend, you know, feverishly for a minute and a half or whatever it is, and Edmonton still gets the goal, and these guys haven't even got off the ice once. So, yeah, that leaves a mark, <laughs> you know, and you're blocking. Look, it's a power play. You're blocking shots in the power play. That hurts. Eminem doesn't waste a lot of shots on a, their power play, no. but you're blocking shots and your goalie's making saves. And you guys, everybody knows this. It's killing penalties is hard work. So, yeah, they put you through the paces, man. It's, you know, Bruce Cassidy said this morning, we've tried, we tried a new thing coming into the playoffs. Then we tried a new thing after game one. And now we've got to think of a new thing tonight. So anytime you tell me my coach is on plan C and we're two games into a series, that's, you know, that would be probably an advantage. Glenn Gullitson, the head, the guy who's got the power play up here. Uh, Mark Spector along with us from Sportsnet, Sportsnet.ca, senior columnist, of course, Oilers and Vegas Golden Knights game three of their uh, second round Stanley Cup playoff matchup goes tonight from Edmonton. I I wanted to bring up Jay Woodcroft and the decision to go 11 forwards and 7D mark. Why has that worked so well for Edmonton uh, when he's decided to go that route? Yeah, and he's, you know, to his credit, he's done it for all a lot of the year. I, I don't know every lineup and every team in the league, but I'd be surprised if during the regular season there was a team that did more of that. Uh, and it's pretty simple. Like, basically what you do, Logan, is you're going without a fourth line center. You know, you go with two fourth-line wingers, and then you're going to rotate your centerman through. And when your centerman, you know, when you got McDavid and you get Dreisaitl, and you could run Nugent Hopkins, who's primarily a winger, but you could play him at center on that fourth line for a shift. And if it calls for a, maybe a more defensive situation, you run Ryan McLeod through your third-line center. You let him take a shift with that line. So really what it does is what's a fourth-line center play? Does he play... I don't know, let's say 10 minutes in a hockey game. 
So you take that 10 minutes and you split it up. If, if you're losing, you split it up between McDavid and Dreisaitl and try to get back in the lead. And if you're winning, you split it up between McLeod and Nugent Hopkins and you got a couple of responsible defensive guys. So it's not all bad, right? It's, 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 there's some method there. I get it, what he's doing. How have you uh, seen the impact of Matthias Ekholm in these uh, in these playoffs for Edmonton, Mark? Oh yeah, he's a he's a really huge impact. Huge every every Stanley Cup team I've ever covered. You know, I when the Flames went to the Cup, they had Robin Regeer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, every good team when Montreal went to the Cup, they had Shea Weber. And I'm not saying they're all the same player. You know, Regeer was a big, rough, hard guy. I would say Ekholm's better with the puck, probably on the stick. Seattle's living in nine with big Adam Larson. Like, he's playing unbelievable minutes there. Uh, he may be a little harder to play against. I'd say Ekholm, again, compared to Larson's, probably a little better offensively. But he's that guy here. He's, you know, when it comes time to play defense, he's a six-foot-four, big, mean Swede that can, you know, put you on your backside. And and then when the puck's on a stick, he's pretty good at getting it to the right people you know, on the, on the tape. Um, he's a, just a, we knew he was a good player in Nashville. I mean, everyone who's watched Nashville mm-hmm. knows he was a good player, but you know, he was behind Yossi there. And before that he was behind Shea Weber there. Right. Uh, you know, and in for a while, I suppose Ellis and guys like that. Now he's here and he's a veteran and he's in the prime of his career, man. And he's a good, he'll give you 23 solid minutes every night, taking the pressure off of Darnell Nurse, helping Evan Bouchard along. Like this guy, he'd play for any team in the league and they'd be happy to have him for sure. I was just going to mention that last point you brought up there. And I'm, I'm curious uh, as someone that watches this team on a full-time basis, like yourself, Mark, how have you seen as, as Ekholm's ability to come in and be that defensive guy, let Bouchard shine offensively more, or was that something that was happening even before Ekholm was there? Uh, no, no. I, I mean, Bouchard's never had a, a. No one's had any issue with Bouchard's offense. He's a pretty good offensive guy. He always has been. But the difference with him is how is he away from the puck? How is he when it comes time to defend? You know, people. I think in our hockey culture today, Logan, we we forget that, that we, we give the we want to give the Norris to guys like Carlson who get a whole bunch of points. We forget the the part of the word defenseman is defense, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So. You know, you got You can't just be an offensive guy, especially if you want to win. And, you know, when Bouchard played with Duncan Keith last year, Duncan Keith took care of some of the dirty business, but he also helped Bouchard a lot. And Bouchard's defensive game got better. And when Keith retired, Bouchard was a little bit lost for the first half of the season. He wasn't in his own zone. He wasn't great. I'm here to tell you. Uh, and then along comes Ekholm, and all of a sudden he's got that guy to play with again. And I think there's a lot of instruction, like here's how you do it, and maybe let's try this, and I'm going to give you the puck here. I'm not going to give it to you there. And, you know, we've all seen that, that sort of relationship with the older defensemen over the years, right, uh, in every town. And Ekholm has been, you know, in, in three, four, five years, maybe Ekholm's not around anymore. And maybe Bouchard is going to be a very good player. And when you go to interview him and say, how come you're this good? He's going to say, well, I played with Duncan Keith for one year and I played with Ekholm for three or four. And that's got a huge reason why I'm as good as I am today. Uh, Just a couple more for you, Speck. Appreciate the time on a game day. Anything changed for the Oilers heading into game three and the the home ice advantage that comes with all the blue and orange in the stands tonight? Well, I mean, it's, you know, home. I don't know. There's no home ice advantage in the playoffs, right? You've seen the numbers. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> road team wins more than they lose. So, yeah. <laughs> so I guess I'm not sure about that. Uh, this hasn't been a hard matchup series. Bruce Cassidy did not match up uh, hard against McDavid or Drysdale like the way the way say um, uh, we did in L.A. Right with Todd McClellan, like he had Dano on McDavid and he had Kopitar on Drysdale every chance he got. So, so in terms of last change, I don't think that makes a big difference. So no, I don't. You know, the, the goofy thing in this series, Logan, is. Vegas kind of plays the way Edmonton plays. They want to score off the rush. They want to forecheck. They want to skate and play a more open and creative game. And my question would be, they're trying to play that style against a team that might be better at it than they are. So Vegas has to figure out, this isn't the LA Kings trying to defend the Oilers to death. This is a team trying to beat the Oilers at what Edmonton does. I'm not saying they can't do it, but when when they played that game in game two, it wasn't pretty. When they played it in game one, it was a 5-4 hockey game. It was really a toss-up till the end. So I'm not sure it favors Vegas, but I'm going to say this is what got Vegas here, and I don't think they're going to change everything, right? And uh, last but not least, uh, away from the uh, ice tonight, uh, two Pacific Division teams with uh, some of the highest odds at winning the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. Does Mark Spector feel another Connor superstar <laughs> uh, will join the ranks of the Pacific Division after tonight's lottery balls? That's a good question, eh? Where do we want him to go? Like, you know, where do we want to see Connor Bedard? Like, he's not going to play for a team that's going to win soon. No. That's the whole concept of the draft. I'd love to see him go to Montreal. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing him go to Chicago because at least we're going to see him a lot on TV. But us folks in Edmonton and Calgary, if he's in Anaheim or San Jose, we're going to see him a whole bunch too, right? Yeah. So, you know what? I don't have a preference. Uh, if I had to pick one, I'm going to say Chicago just because I think a original six franchise could use that boost. But yeah. who knows, man? What do you think? What do you got going here? Have you spun that? Do they have that, that wheel out there you can oh, do on yeah. the internet? Yeah, we've been, we've been spinning it left and right trying to see what happens. And see, here in Calgary, everybody goes, not only, the, okay, we've got the Pacific Division teams. Do we want to see him with Johnny Gaudreau for the next six years in Columbus? I don't know how we feel about that either. I think in Calgary, I think you're talking probably Chicago or, or Montreal, I think would be the safe ones. Or I wouldn't even mind a place like Philly, you know, who could use a real a boost of, yeah. of talent yeah. there in the yeah. next couple of years. I'd love to see something like that, yeah. Teamspec. Yeah, I'm with you. Philly would be awesome. Philly would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, don't make me have to watch Columbus play all the time, please. <laughs> yeah. Don't make me do that. We already have that a couple times a year. Uh, Mark, appreciate the time, sir. Always a great chance to chat with you. Uh, thanks for the time on a game day, as always, sir. Enjoy the matchup tonight, hey? That's how it goes. Really, you had to get out of here. I said goodbye, and he was out of here. Appreciate he, he left you. <laughs> That's perfect timing. I love that. Uh, Mark Spector joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Uh, senior columnist for Sportsnet.ca. Uh, you see him on Sportsnet television all the time as well. His latest uh, up for tonight's matchup ahead of the Vegas Golden Knights in game number three. 6.30 puck drop. It'll be uh, starting right after the NHL's draft lottery show, which we will bring you live here on Sportsnet 960. The fan who lands Connor Bedard with the first overall pick. The Anaheim Ducks walk in tonight with the best odds at 25.5%. Your Calgary Flames cannot select first overall, but can win the draft lottery and move up uh, 10 spots. So they will either pick 16th 
or sixth overall. We'll, we'll see how that goes uh, later on tonight. Uh, we'll take a break, come back on the other side. Time to talk some Toronto Blue Jays. Taylor's excited. They swept away the Pittsburgh Pirates, made them look like nothing but fake Pirates. They're the Pirates of the Caribbean playing baseball instead of the Pittsburgh Pirates who play like baseball. The, the ones that broke their toes and nose yeah, off the in the use- cold? Yeah, exactly. The useless ones, not the good ones. Uh, they're uh, feeling good. Alec Manoa gets the next start for the Jays out against the Phillies. Uh, how did they bounce back after a bad series against Boston? Uh, how did they bounce back against the Pirates? Well, that's shy to media Sportsnet. All about the Jays next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Blue Jays off tomorrow, trying to make it a happy flight. The 2-0. Swing and a pop-up. Back of Chapman from third. He's there underneath it. Makes the catch to finish the ball game. And the Toronto Blue Jays wrap up their sweep in Steel City. They scored five early, they scored five late, and they absolutely punished the Pirates, winning 10-1 to in the series finale, completing the sweep. They'll enjoy the off day and get ready for the Philadelphia Phillies on Tuesday night. Couldn't say it much better than Sportsnet's own Ben Wagner on the call. Sunday afternoon, the Jays punishing the Pirates 10-1. Breaking out the brooms. Another masterful pitching performance from Yusei Kikuchi. Whit Merrifield, Dalton Varsho, Kevin Kiermeyer all go deep in the victory. And the Jays bounce back after a disappointing series against the Red Sox. Coming away with three wins over the weekend against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Welcome to Sportsnet Today. It's Logan Gordon along with you this afternoon. Off day for the Toronto Blue Jays, but back in action Tomorrow against the Philadelphia Phillies with Alec Manoa on the mound. And uh, as we go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon, uh, very happy to welcome in from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca, Shai Davidi, to uh, join us and talk all things Blue Jays following their sweep of the Pirates. Shai, thanks for doing this as always, man. How are you today? I'm all right. How's it going? We're doing really good, man. Uh, probably not as good as the Jays are on this off day, but uh, that's a pretty great way to end off a series in Pittsburgh against the Pirates, eh? Yeah, they needed that. It was... It was a really weird stretch in Boston, right? They, I mean, they've been playing so well. They let a game slip through their fingers at the end of a homestand against the Mariners, uh, which would have allowed them to uh, have a perfect 6-0 and homestand, ended up 5-1. and And then they just went into Boston and just were uncharacteristically bad. They, you know, the rotation wasn't good. The defense wasn't good. Uh, the offense came and went. And they just had this really aberration type of series. And then they get to Pittsburgh and there's a whole around the team. Everyone's just, what just happened there? And they just did what they did to what they could do to flush it away immediately. And uh, Chris Bassett really set the tone on, on Friday night. The offense took care of business there. Did so the rest of the weekend. Uh, Barrios and, and Kikuchi followed suit. And that really gave the Blue Jays the type of reset they needed after, again, just just a really weird series in Boston. And I know the Pirates had come into this series with the Jays on a losing streak of their own after dropping a series to Tampa Bay shy. But important to note, this is a 20-win team in Pittsburgh, too, that got off to a pretty good start this season. It's not one of those typical years where you walk into Pittsburgh and just naturally assume the Jays were 
you know, going to take three games. It, it could have been a tough series against Pittsburgh. The Jays didn't let it happen that way, though. Yeah, I mean, the Pirates are a little bit of a, a mirage, too. The, you know, they, they've done a lot of beating up on bottom feeders early on. They caught teams when they were when they were cold, and they had a bit of a reality check when you know they went up to the big boy division and faced the Rays and the Jays. And it was, uh, okay, this team has made some progress, but let's not get ahead of ourselves in terms of how far, how, how much progress they, they've actually made. Yeah. Uh, but, but again, you still have to get the job done. 100%. And then, again, the Blue Jays came into this limping a little bit. There was, for the first time this season, they'd been really punched in the face, and they did not play well in any facet. They gave a lot away against the Red Sox, which, again, uncharacteristic for them. And contrary to a lot of their focal points, they really strayed from uh, you know, basically a lot of the things they've tried to make th- – part of their character this year and so there was a lot there was a lot of interest in how they were going to respond internally they wanted to see what that pushback would be what the response would be and it was the response uh, the exactly the type of response you wanted against a team that was similarly desperate to turn things around just has fewer tools in the toolkit to pull it off do you think that and i know it's really early to say something like this but do you think that's Something that Ross Atkins looks at this group and says, look, that's what we were hoping to do when we made some of the moves we made in the offseason, bringing in some of these veteran guys and maybe trying to change the approach and the mentality of this group day to day and maybe make it so that, hey, look, we realize we, we didn't have a good series against Boston, but we're now a mature enough group to realize we can and we will bounce back against teams, you know, like like a Pittsburgh. We can come back and have that sort of series and end a streak in Boston and just have it end like that? Is that something that you think is, is a sign for this group or is it just still early enough that you can't really say that? Well, there, there have been guys who have that experience before, but I thought it was interesting. Dalton Varsho after the game yesterday was saying that, you know, he's been part of the, an Arizona Diamondbacks team that when they went through stuff like this, they maybe had a little bit more difficulty turning the page than this Blue Jays team does. And you're right. There is a lot of more been there, done that, but there's also the, the right perspective where, you know, talking to different Blue Jays players about it, you know, one player said, you know, I, I know we played, didn't play great, but I don't think we were as bad as people were making it out. And others were like, you know what, this was, it's not an excuse, but first time in the cold and in extreme weather conditions, and maybe that got us out of our game. And maybe we were just a little too overconfident going in all these different things. They could, there there was, I think some real navel gazing into what it was and, and an understanding that like this one series doesn't make, make you who you are. And so I don't know if that was necessarily what the Blue Jays were trying to get this offseason. I mean, they wanted people or players who have some experience for sure and have the ability to, to deal with different challenges and have seen different situations. But they also just wanted a lot of baseball acumen and they got a lot of that baseball acumen. And they, 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 that's the type of scenario where that baseball acumen really comes into play. Uh, Shaw, your latest uh, Sportsnet.ca sort of going through this series for the Jays and what went right for them starts with Yusei Kikuchi and sort of the juxtaposition as to where he was 
at this time, last time he visited the Pittsburgh Pirates and went to PNC Park where he was uh, trying to find a spot in the rotation. He was struggling um, and just a really bad point in, in last year, which was, let's be honest, mostly all bad for Yusei Kikuchi compared to where he is now. 5-0 and uh, with an ERA at 3.35. How impressed have you been with the turnaround and what you've seen from Yusei Kikuchi in, in so far in this early part of the season? Yeah, it's kind of wild, right? Because he came out of the bullpen following uh, opener Trevor Richards last September third. It's not even eight months since that the you know he's back at, at Pittsburgh, and all of a sudden he's the starter that everybody or around the Blue Jays at least felt he was going to be or had the potential to be. It's it's not a long period of time for for someone to to have that kind of turnaround. Now it's it's seven starts, so you know let's it's not even a third of the season yet. So let's let it play out over the longer term and make sure that this isn't you know a, a small sample size aberration or anything along those lines. But he is doing a lot of the things the Blue Jays were hoping he could do on a consistent basis. He's attacking the zone. He's throwing strikes. He's working with pace and partly because of the the pitch clock, but that's eliminated a lot of the thinking that created problems for him at times last year. His mechanics are a bit more consistent. He's sticking with an approach. He isn't adapting things from game to game the way that he, he was at times last year trying is, is make a slider harder, make a slider softer, you know, four seam more, two seam more, different different things that he tried last year where this year he's locked in on a plan and because he's repeating it and trusting it and having some success with it, he's able to, to reinforce and eliminate that constant push and pull. So that to me points to a really significant point of progress and I was really struck yesterday, the juxtaposition, just the way he was pitching and putting putting that game beneath his foot to make sure it didn't wrestle away. Uh, and and the, the last time he was there where the Blue Jays were basically needed him just cover some innings in a bullpen game and were just hoping that he could be effective for them. Uh, I think the other big story for Blue Jays fans coming off of that series against Pittsburgh shy had to be the health of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and uh, dealing with that left wrist issue. Obviously, good timing to have an off day today ahead of that two-game set coming up against the Phillies. Uh, what do you get uh, as a feel for Vladdy and what this left wrist is is bothering him with right now? Because I believe it was it was the la- it was the left wrist last year as well when he sat out in May, correct? It was, and I asked him yesterday whether this was similar or something different, and he said it was similar, but this time the soreness extended a little bit into his forearm as well, and that's one of the reasons why he was being all the more cautious with it. And so, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has been one of the most durable players in baseball. Uh, He's appeared in all but three games over the last three seasons. And so for him to sit out back-to-back days, it's got to be reasonably significant and something that the, the definitely bears watching. But it didn't sound like he was concerned that this was going to be something that would keep him on the injured list. It, basically, it's just rest and a little bit of treatment right now. So the fact that there was an off day on Monday and that you could rest it essentially three days in a row that way, that 
presented a bit of an opportunity that when he and the Blue Jays decided to take. I'll be really curious to see whether he's in the lineup tomorrow against the Phillies. And if it's another day tomorrow and then, you know, maybe it's a two-game series followed by another off day, do the Blue Jays try to extend this a little bit and rest him all the way to Friday? At that point, maybe it's a, it, it's time to think about it a little bit more because that's that's a good chunk of time and it, very unusual for, for someone like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Easier, you think, for them to make that decision to maybe sit him out against Philly, knowing how some of the complimentary parts have been playing. And I mean, you know, talk about Whit Merrifield, the game he had, Brandon Belt stepped up in this series against Pittsburgh. Is it easier, shy for, for John Schneider to maybe go down that road knowing he's got some pieces that aren't everyday pieces but have performed pretty well of late? I mean, in May, I don't think you, you'd necessarily look at it that way. Okay. Right? If, if your guy needs a day, it's May. Yeah. You're not you're not going to push them when there's still five months of season left. If if it's September, and at that point the discussion is feels a little bit different. But it certainly make it's certainly better for the team that those guys have emerged. And look, Whit Merrifield's been great all season long, and he's quietly uh, become a really important piece for this team. And he, he's playing some of the best baseball he's played in uh, in quite a while. And he does so many things beyond just the stats that make an impact on the game that you know you see him being a factor in so many ways. But to me, the thing that stuck out over the weekend was, you know, Brendan Belt starting to look like Brendan Belt for mm-hmm. probably the first time. And it wasn't just he had the one great game in New York uh, a couple weeks back but he hadn't put together consecutive games like that. And for him, there's consecutive games now. He actually is catching up and, and doing some damage on fastballs. He's, he's, the bat speed's a little bit faster, and that's made him more effective. He just looks a lot more like what the Blue Jays were hoping they were signing in Brandon Belt. Now you want to see him do it against uh, a team better than the Pirates as well. Phillies will certainly be a good test. They've got uh, Nola and Wheeler coming up in the next two days. So the Blue Jays are going to face some pretty good pitching. And if Brandon Belt starts becoming that guy again, then that's a major change for the Blue Jays because they, they need someone to be productive in that DH spot. And if it's not going to be Brandon Belt, then maybe that's an area they're looking for at the come trade deadline. So uh, a lot of eyes will be watching what Brandon Belt does and whether this is, this is the springboard into a, a run of success, extended run of production that the Blue Jays have been counting on from him. Schneider Vini along with the uh, Sportsnet, Sportsnet.ca covering all things Toronto Blue Jays an off day for the Jays today before they start a two game set against the Phillies tomorrow. And when they take the uh, field tomorrow, Shy, it'll be Alec Manoa on the mound. And uh, an uncharacteristic beginning to the season for Alec, who got the opening day start for the Jays, and probably one of the more inconsistent pieces of this Jays rotation to start the year, which I don't think uh, many would have guessed even heading into early May. But uh, your latest at Sportsnet.ca kind of going through things with Alec. Sounds like he's taking the same approach to every single start that we've known from Alec Manoa and just continuing to do his thing. And he figures that it'll come back and start to, to go in the right direction for him. Hey, eh? well, yeah. And it's the last time out was really interesting, right? Cause through three and a third innings, he's, he's working on a gem. He gets 
smoked by that Raphael Devers liner, 125, 112.5 miles an hour off the inside of his left knee. And then all of a sudden the floodgates opened after that. And uh, there, there was some defensive lapses behind him that didn't help him, but usually he's able to pitch around those. But that was a real Jekyll and Hyde outing. And if he had been able, who knows, because you never know, maybe the Red Sox would have gotten to him one way or the other, but that line drive doesn't hit him and he's able to finish off a, a good outing there. That's three good outings in a row. And all of a sudden we're talking about how he's definitively turned the corner. It looks like. So uh, it's amazing how a little thing can change so much in, in, the, in a short span. But if he has, the type of outing that he'd had against the Mariners and against the Yankees before that Red Sox start, then I think you're looking at Manoa as starting to recapture his past form. Just talking to the people around him, it sounds like he's pretty close and that there's expectation that he's going to be the Alec Manoa. We all know pretty soon, if not already. And he's, he, it's, it's, probably a little trite to say it, but he's obviously a key piece for this team. And he was an, the opening day starter for a reason. He was a Cy Young Award finalist last year for a reason. It wouldn't be unusual for a young player to, with, at his age and his experience level to, to have an off season, or at least to have a little bit of a non-linear development path. And the Blue Jays are hoping that he can avoid that. And that this is just a, short-term blip and that he's going to rebound and be the guy that he's been the past two seasons for them. Uh, Sean, one more thing to uh, to get to with you that came up over the weekend, and I'm curious to get your perspective on it. Uh, Matt Chapman uh, was asked about uh, his feelings towards staying with this Blue Jays term, uh, team past this year as he is a free agent and whether he'd be open or not to an extension. He said, of course. He said, I think there's Mutual interest to get a deal done. It's not his priority at this time because he's focused on baseball, focused on winning. But if he's, you know, if they're going to talk, Scott Boris can talk and make something happen, then then good for them. What do you come down on, on, on a Chapman extension for this team? Does it make sense to try to get something done in season with him? Is this something that might be better broached after the season is finished? Or is this, hey, if you can get Matt Chapman signed, pen to paper long-term to remain with the Toronto Blue Jays, you explore that opportunity if you're the front office? I mean, you'd absolutely have to explore the opportunity. Uh, I'd be stunned if something happened in season for uh, someone of his talent and the way the, the market is shaping up at this point, what it would cost to buy him out of that opportunity. Uh, I'd, I'd be very surprised if, if that took place. And, and he's potentially going to be the best player on the market, not named Shohei Otani, at least the way things are shaping up right now. And knowing that he's a Scott Boris client and the way Scott Boris typically uh, handles clients in that ilk, he likes to take them to market to, to see what opportunity is going to be out there. So you know, I, I just don't, I just don't see a high likelihood of the inter the interest between the Blue Jays and, and Chapman intersecting before the open market gets involved. You know, bigger picture, the question that you have to ask in terms of does Matt Chapman fit? Like Matt Chapman absolutely fits. The the bigger picture question is does a Matt Chapman a big Matt Chapman deal potentially cut you off 
uh, down the line from a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or Bull Bichette extension mm-hmm. or an extension for both. So that that to me would be some of the considerations there. I think a lot of that will carry over. To the, that's why I think a lot of it will carry over to the offseason. If you're Matt Chapman, you're looking at the, the contract Manny Machado got. You're looking at what Anthony Rendon got a couple of years ago. And that's probably the neighborhood that you're in. Those types of deals rarely happen in season, especially with a player on the verge of free agency the way Chapman does. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see, uh, but like you said, lots of uh, time maybe before we even get to that conversation. Just interesting to hear him and go down that road, and I think it piqued a lot of Blue Jays uh, fans' interest, especially knowing how good he's been this season and how nice it would be to see him stick around in Toronto for a couple of seasons. Uh, Shai, thank you so much for the time this afternoon. Really do appreciate you coming on with us, chatting all things Blue Jays. Uh, enjoy the day off, and I'm sure you'll enjoy the game against the Phillies tomorrow, hey? Yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there bright and early in Philadelphia, so looking forward to it. Take care, pal. Thanks again. Yeah, see ya. Bye. Thanks. Shai Davidi, Sportsnet, sportsnet.ca, uh, joining us down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline, uh, his latest up at uh, sportsnet.ca uh, on Alec Manoa, who gets the start for the Jays tomorrow against the Phillies. Uh, an up-and-down start to the year for Manoa. One and two record on the year, a 4.71 ERA, but he's still the ace of this team. And uh, after that series in Pittsburgh, helping uh, getting picked up by uh, Barrios, Bassett, and Kikuchi wins. That's all positives for the Toronto Blue Jays. And of course, we'll wait and see uh, the health of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. heading into that two game set against Philadelphia tomorrow. We will take a break, come back on the other side. It's NHL Draft Lottery Day. Who will get the prize at the end of the tunnel of a bad season? This year, it's Connor Bedard. A couple of Pacific Division teams in the mix. A couple of uh, surprise contenders in there for Connor Bedard. We will uh, chat all things NHL Draft Lottery when we kick off Hour 2 next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.